Hello, hello. This is Alina with the Act with Alina podcast. I have my friend Keisha here. Um, Keisha is a dear friend I know through yoga and um, a couple of things about her. She has her bachelor's of science in exercise science, her master's of science in diet uh, dietetics, mm-hmm. uh, nutrition and exercise physiology. Nutrition and exercise physiology. Um, she is a PhD student for nutrition and exercise physiology, shall I say, a registered dietitian, diabetes educator, and how I personally know her. Like I said, the uh, we are both yoga instructors. Um, she is has been through two separate 200-hour yoga teacher trainings, which, speaking from experience, is so much work. And um, so I can't imagine going through it twice is an incredible feat. So congratulations. And um, not that it's a recent thing, but um, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. So funny story, but not really funny because it was really <laughs> devastating. Um, we already recorded a podcast a couple of months ago and um, the audio just didn't work. So today we are recording um, on one microphone. So it might sound a little bit different than you might normally receive. Um, just to make sure that all of the audio goes well, because I am by no means an audio technician. Um, but primarily we wanted to talk today and I actually think that it's perfect because it's January 2nd, it's the new year. And I want to talk first and foremost about how you feel about the new year, new you diet culture the culture that surrounds resolutions when it comes to weight loss, dieting, and everything that surrounds that topic. So much to unpack there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, ultimately, like, it's not really my place to say, like, whether or not somebody should or shouldn't be, you know, making a New Year's resolution. It's like, you do you. Like, if you want to go set a New Year's resolution, go for it. That's not really, you know, I shouldn't have an opinion on that. But, you know, in terms of, like, the culture that surrounds dieting and our diet culture that we have, there's a whole lot of problems surrounding that. And, you know, it's like we have to, like, look at it from, okay, if you should follow a diet or you want to follow a diet, like, why are you waiting until January 1st to do so? You know, you could just do it at any point in time. But also, like, what are your reasons for following X diet. Is it the pressure of societal norms or mm-hmm. is it genuinely because you maybe feel better doing this thing? This mm-hmm. certain, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, is there anything that you have seen that's particularly toxic about these diets that you see around the new year regarding resolutions? I don't know if it's any more toxic than, like, people wanting to follow an, a certain diet in general. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like we have to have a conversation about intentions surrounding diets and why people want to follow them in the first place. And it's going to be just as problematic if you started in June as if you did during the beginning of the new year. Right. But I think that the problem, like, we do have, like, a whole culture of, like, people that want to do it on, like, January 1st. And, 
you know, maybe people feel more pressure to do so as well when you see your social media kind of filled with that. Um, like, oh, look, so-and-so is doing this. Like, maybe I should be doing this too. And then, you yeah. know, that just perpetuates this culture. Right. I know I particularly feel like that when it comes to um, New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. I've never been one to particularly set New Year's resolutions, but when it comes to... Um, my social media and I see so many people doing like year recaps which I actually really enjoy watching Mm -hmm. because I'm like oh this is so cool that that I forgot this happened this year because January 2021 will be the same as you know 2021 in December Mm -hmm. right it's the same year um and and so it's just really cool to see what has happened in that year and it's also difficult to see the amount of advertising that comes from the um dieting culture i have seen a lot of advertising when it comes to dieting and um uh, whether that be um whole 30 keto um juice cleanses cleanses uh fasting Mm a lot of fasting that i've seen going on and that has been particularly difficult for me because i tend to fall under the category of okay oh should i be doing this that's that should right Mm -hmm. um stop shooting over shooting all over yourself is what i have heard before stop shooting all over yourself um because it it uh it really is true that should is just kind of the bane of our existence right because Mm -hmm. everybody's so different how do you anticipate this year going with January resolutions and maybe the people that you see saying, okay, I'm going to do it this year. What are your primary concerns when talking to them or primary questions that you ask them? I think ultimately it's going to, like, if it were a patient that I've already seen before, like, they're gonna, we're going to be building upon our past conversations, which shouldn't be new information to them, where I feel like, you know, if we had had a other conversations about nutrition and exercise, you know, prior to the new year, why, why would there be this change come January 1st? And if there is, we have to talk about what that is, why that exists, um, and why they feel like this is what they need to do now. Um, but you know, it's my first year being in an outpatient position. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I mean, it's a new, a new experience for me as well. So I don't really know if I, um, you know, I haven't had experience with, you know, patients being like, this is my New Year's resolution. This is what I'm going to do now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can imagine that just as anyone would, there is a natural inkling to set resolutions. There is so much pressure behind resolutions. And even where I work in the financial industry, there's so much in regards to, oh, I'm going to save up for this, or I'm mm-hmm. going to save this amount, or I'm going to stop spending this mm-hmm. amount on maybe Starbucks every day or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. There's so much I should or shouldn't mm-hmm. behind all of these resolutions Yeah, that diving into, okay, why is this genuinely your resolution? And how will this not be something that is toxic for you right first and Mm -hmm. foremost Uh, and second how is this something that if it is healthy for you or if you genuinely want and feel good about it how is this something that is going to be maintainable for you for the rest of the year Mm. where do you think a lot of these new year's resolutions about diet culture come from fat phobia (laughs) at the heart of it 
And, like, this is something that we didn't, again, talk about in our last podcast that I'm kind of hoping we can dig into more is really, I think, the differences between, you know, anti-diet culture and basically uh, anti-fatness and, like, what those two different cultures look like because I think there's more people kind of that are getting on board with this anti-diet culture. Like, being like, there's a problem here. But people are not quite there when it comes to being, like, being fat is okay. Well, I'll, I'll be the first to admit mm-hmm. that when I heard people on podcasts that I listen to say, talk about fatness, I said, why are they talking? Why are they saying fat? Because, like, that's such a negative way to talk about being bigger. Like, mm-hmm. I've always said, like, oh, I'm just, like, a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. But why was I shying away from the saying, I've got a little fat on me. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, you know, I, I may be fat yeah. or I have fat or, you know, what is the, why is there so much cringiness for me or so much discomfort when it comes to saying the word fat? Right. What words do you associate and what do people in general, like as an individual associate with fatness? What does right. that mean to you? Um, gosh, I mean, what that means to me, less lovable, less dateable, Mm -hmm. uh, something that I've discovered within the dating realm, not necessarily when it comes to people overtly saying it, but maybe me within my own self-consciousness of saying, okay, I'm not the thinnest person in the world is how I like to say it, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. less overt than saying I have fat or Mm -hmm. I am fat or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Things like that. Um, Then then saying um, I have less, you know, I am not the thinnest person in the world, Mm -hmm. right? There, that to me, in my mind, feels less dateable or less lovable or less sensual or less like sexual than someone who is thin and um, has the curves in the right places, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And I think that like ultimately all those words you kind of bring up kind of echoes that sentiment of like in that recognition of like fat people are discriminated against mm-hmm. and like we subconsciously and maybe consciously know that. And like we have a marginalized population of people that I don't think society is working very hard to help. And like, I think that's where like this intersection with like your activism podcast, like is like so important that we have this conversation. Well, and that's why I was like, I need to have this conversation with you because Mm -hmm. this is something that's part of your everyday part of your, what you do for your career and what you do for your passions. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, you recently shared um, a book with me Mm -hmm. um, by Aubrey Gordon. Yes. And um, I can't remember the name of it. What we don't talk about when we talk about fat. Um, And and tell me why that was so revolutionary and how you think about the word fat and um, fat phobia. Yeah. And I think, like I mentioned to you, I, I was telling Elena earlier how, you know, Aubrey Gordon is so fantastic and she combines science with history and her own personal experience that I think makes such a powerful story. And so if anyone has, you know, 
more interested in learning about this conversation and this topic, you really need to go follow her. Her Instagram is called Your Fat Friend. Um, and, and she's And I think amazing. it's like YR. YR, yeah. Your yeah. Fat Friend. Your Fat Friend. That has been one of my favorite follows, actually, yes. since you had recommended yes. it. She is so great. I already forgot the question now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question of what the question originally was, and um, oh, why why she was re- so revolutionary? I think, yeah. I think, um, uh, like just like how she she presents information is wonderful, um, but ultimately, I think the one of the big takeaways is like people, like we had this conversation about good and bad, like and like what it means to be like a good liberal or a good activist right. or whatever. And we kind of have, like, this, like, picture of what that looks like. But even people that fit that picture can still be fatphobic as shit. Yes. Like, like, like me I, I, and, and Keisha and I yeah. were talking about this earlier. And I was fully transparent with her and saying, um, I, I am fatphobic mm-hmm. uh, for sure um, when it comes to myself. When it comes to how I view the world, when it comes to how I view the dating world, Mm -hmm. there are absolute prejudices that I carry simply because of the insecurities that I have about myself, Mm -hmm. that I have been um, kind of curated to see about myself through society. I think that I, I I mean, I'll absolutely admit to the fact that I am fat phobic Mm -hmm. and that is something that... To be honest, I have really come to understand through my friendship with you. Mm-hmm. When did you become particularly passionate about this topic? Oh my gosh. I mean, I I don't know if I can think of like an exact moment in time, especially because like like I have kind of this long-standing history with diet culture, an eating disorder, and like my own personal journey with that and like my own relationship with like my fatness and my weight and what that looks like. Um but like in the last handful of years, like I've become more vocal about for sure identifying with like anti-diet culture but trying to i think move into this uh subsect of like really about anti-fatness like that's more the conversation it's like not necessary and so um something i mentioned in our last recorded podcast was this idea of like body liberation and so that's something that aubrey gordon talks a lot about so there's this idea like body positivity love everybody we're all beautiful yes but um but that space has become predominantly uh, thin white women mm-hmm. um, who are like love yourself love your body anti-diet but like you're thin to begin with like you are not facing the same discrimination as a fat person well and and I have to interject there <laughs> uh, well I guess I don't have to but I will <laughs> of um, the only reason I will is because I think of like like you and me for example who we have talked about being on the edge of okay what is the normal size of a human being of like uh what's normal yeah. shall we aubrey, say aubrey gordon calls it straight size mm. so that's her term so like whether normal because normal implies not normal yeah like that that's bullshit yeah so straight size is what she calls straight it. straight size i mm-hmm. love that okay yeah. so so um people who have identified being straight size mm-hmm. um and then you know, we talk about our fatness, right? And how our insecurities of our own fatness. Um, But then also people who are more fat than we are, 
would also maybe look at us and say something like, you don't know what it's like to be discriminated against like mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's different levels, wouldn't you say? And right. and um, how can you uh, be a better advocate for those people um, without saying, oh, you're fatter than me in a derogatory way or in general? Like, do you even need to say that? Well, I think part of it is like we have to like stop using fat as a derogatory term. Yeah, And like fat, is, like again, fat is a neutral descriptor, like as being like tall or short. Like it is, it is what it is. It doesn't mean anything else. Yeah. And if it means something else to you, like there's more that you have to unpack with that. Yes. Um, but the reality is that fat people are discriminated against on a daily basis and they like people die because of it. People don't get the medical care they need. They have biased care where they're not given appropriate care. They don't have seats on airplanes that fit mm, them. Yes. That like she has a whole Aubrey Gordon has a whole chapter on airplanes and their policies and they're atrocious. Like like it's it's complete horseshit. Like <laughs> airplanes are a problem. Um, you know, and just like her day to day experiences where it's like I don't think most people can imagine. And another another part of it too is like. People don't listen to her. Like, she tells her friends and her closest, you know, family members, like, this is what happens to me. And people immediately want to be like, well, you know, they, they just, they're just doing it because they care about your health. They're just doing it, you know. They try and, like, justify why this person who discriminated against them, like, did said behavior. But ultimately, like, that's a problem that, their fr- that her friends are doing that. You know, like, they should just listen. You know, we, we have to listen. Yeah. You know, start with listening first. Right. I mean, isn't that such a good lesson in general? Mm-hmm. When you're talking about something that you may not... Uh, uh, let me scratch that. When you're talking about something... Hmm, let me scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're listening to someone express how they're feeling or what their experience is, let that be what it is. Right. Right. Um, when it comes to your profession as a diabetes educator, what is one of the first things that you see as an insecurity from someone who has come in recently diagnosed? Well, we've, you know, a lot of it is like, again, the diabetes being like the shame and blame disease where people have, you know, a huge misunderstanding of what diabetes is and why it occurs and what's happening. And like a lot of that is you know, it's perpetuated by society, people's individual family and their friends, their medical provider, like, like this rhetoric gets perpetuated by everyone. So people come in thinking like, it's my fault I have diabetes and like, I'm a terrible person because I have this now. Well, and, and I, I would anticipate or I would um, assume, shall we say, that they have been told by other people that they need to exercise more and eat less. Yeah, or something similar to that sentiment. Yeah, and that's um, and that, and that, and that's probably the extent of what they're told. Yeah, and you're, like it's it's bullshit that like anybody. Like, there's so much to unpack there. Again. So, what is the first thing that you think about when you are seeing someone for the first time? Um, I want to know about what they've been told. I want to know about like what did people tell you? Like, what does this diagnosis mean to you? Um, what have, what did your doctor say? What did your family and friends say? I want to know what their understanding is of what's happening. And, and how much of the, um, without being too specific, how many of the patients you see are type one versus type two or many of the other types Mm. that you haven't, uh, 
um, alluded to in the past because yeah. uh, I guess let's start there. There are more types of diabetes than one and two. Right. Am I correct in saying correct. that? Correct. How, what is the percentage between maybe the two types of diabetes mm-hmm. and the shame maybe that comes between them? Yeah. Yeah. So I think with like, uh, so in terms of like my workload, I see a huge variation in different types of diabetes. And so I I don't think I could probably give an accurate percentage, but I would say that I, I can probably accurately say that I see probably more type patients with type two diabetes. Okay. Um, and I do see a fair amount of people with new diagnoses and that's because of the setting I work in. Um, in my department, we're all, we're team of diabetes educators and we're all spread out through different clinics across Spokane. And so different clinics are going to be serving kind of different needs. So like my boss works in endocrinology, so she sees a lot of, um, you know, patients with type 1 diabetes who need insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors. And so there are different patients go to different clinics, potentially too, depending on what their needs are. Um, so by just by design in the clinics I cover, I think I see more patients with newly diagnosed type 2. Um, and like ultimately there's so much shame and blame surrounding diabetes and specifically around type 2 diabetes. But like sometimes I, I do see and I even not even necessarily with my patients and just with, with what I read online with like patients with type one that I think sometimes sometimes they want to distinguish themselves, you know, two from the type two. Like I don't want to be associated with the type two diabetes. Yeah. Um, not that I know anything about that. Yeah. But I can imagine that there would if I had type, you know, completely yeah. in my situation right now, if I had type one diabetes, I would want people to know that it's type one. Right. Versus type two. Right. And then it brings into question why. Yes, exactly. Exactly. As someone who is not the thinnest person and is wanting to dive into the conversation of demystifying or destigmatizing the word fat. Are you trying to destigmatize just within your community, within your friends, within your family? Mm. Or what? You have to be a little bit more specific, I think. Right. I mean, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I would say within my own self-worth and within my own self-image, if I were thinking, okay, I am less valuable because I am fat. Mm -hmm. What are some words or pieces of advice that you would share to someone in my situation i think part of it is trying to separate it like do you do you believe that fatness means those things and if it does if you really believe that then we have to we really have to have a conversation about like why it means those things and maybe how to replace those words with other with other things and trying yeah what would be some other words that you would replace them with I don't know if I can really, um, you know, when it comes to an individual, like ultimately it's going to depend on like your own individual, like whatever things you have associated with that. But ultimately we have to separate all of it because none of that's true. Okay. We each have our own individual feelings and perceptions of fatness and what that means to us and kind of have to rework that. But at that same time, we have 
actual fat people that have horrible things that happen to them on a day-to-day basis. And that's regardless of how we feel about ourselves. Right. So, so um, you know, that brings me to, as someone who is not actually fat, mm-hmm. but then there's also that terminology of, like, what defines that, right? Because yeah. if I feel fat as an individual and that is associated with negative terms, mm-hmm. how do I then respect someone who is actually fat as you put into terms? Mm-hmm. How do I respect them and how do I give them that grace to share, not grace, how do I give them that space to share their experience mm-hmm. without trying to say, oh, me too, or, oh, yeah, I totally understand because really I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think ultimately, like, similar to conversations we've heard from, you know, black individuals this year and, like, we have to just listen to them. We have to give, we have to elevate their voices. Like, we all need to shut the fuck up and just listen to them, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's why I've, like, mentioned Aubrey Gordon, like, a dozen times, yeah. you know? I have no idea what Aubrey Gordon looks like, mm-hmm. and so I'm coming into this completely blind other than yeah. to what you have told me so she was actually anonymous for a really long time and like i think i don't even know i think it was very like close in line with like her book release that she actually announced her name wow. she was anonymous yeah for like years that i followed her do you know why um i think part of it is like the discrimination she experienced in the hate mail like she has she turns off comments on posts like she doesn't respond to dms like I do not blame her. Like, I, I can't. So, and that that's, like, a whole nother issue. So, like, I, as a thinner person, if I share some posts about, like, fat phobia, anti-diet culture, whatever, like, I'm going to get more reshares, more likes than somebody that's fat that says, says the same exact thing. Right. And that's crap. Right. And, and it's so hard because it's, like, how do you say to someone who is a thinner person who believes, truly believes that they are fat, body dysmorphia uh, um i threw that word out way too nonchalantly <laughs> like i knew what that yeah. meant um like people that think that they're fat but they're not yes how do you respect them while also while also understanding that they are not who society is prejudice prejudice against mhm it's a good question i don't know if i if I have a good answer, because, you know, ultimately part of it is like recognizing like you don't face discrimination. That that's like the fact If you as a thin person, you are not going to face that same discrimination. And that like, I don't know if there's a nicer way to say that or a more polite way to say that. Or if maybe I, you don't say it. Or maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't, like ultimately, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, you know. I don't know either. I'm kind of thinking out loud where I, I don't know what the most right thing to say is but like that's the truth of the matter and that like they aren't experiencing that same discrimination and that maybe is a little bit of tough love there and being like no these are not these are this is not apples to apples here um but then also like what you are experiencing is very real and the pain you feel is very real and like people deserve the help to work through that you know right right um and I'll, I'll put this out there kind of as a leading question of one of the number one factors that has helped me in my journey has been therapy mm-hmm. and counseling. 
And I had an episode on this, um, and I can't recommend it enough. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about your experience and how that has helped you in continuing your journey here? Sure. I mean, like, ultimately, like, as we're talking, like, in the back of my mind, everything was like, people just need to go to therapy. Like, that's like, and the truth of the matter. Like, continuously, like, going to therapy doesn't mean that you always have something wrong. Going to therapy is preventative care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I was like, this is a leading question in the way that I I kind of knew you were going to answer in this way because I I just, I know you and Mm -hmm. I'm, per mm-hmm. our previous conversations, I know how important it is to you. Right. As someone who is fat, not mm-hmm. fat, anywhere within the spectrum, to me, my recommendation is to continue to go to therapy whether you are um, within the midst of a mental breakdown or not. For sure. Because if this is something you struggle with, mm-hmm then this is something that talking about and working through and maybe reframing might be helpful. But I also say this as someone who does not have the training that you have. So right. in your in your yeah. mind, what does, and, and per your training, how have you seen this help transform people's lives? So, like, I think the big thing with therapy, too, is, like, if somebody does have, you know, true issues with like you know disordered eating or any sort of mental health related issue that surrounds kind of this conversation like they're gonna want somebody that specializes in that because like I mentioned doctors and other medical health professions that are just as susceptible to like perpetuating fat phobia so are mental health therapists yes and like they can do they can try and help with the best of intentions but perpetuate stuff that can be a lot really harmful and so part of it too is like figuring out like the right therapist too and making sure that your needs are met in that way yep and so i mean i recommend i won't say i mean i definitely like recommend therapy to my patients that like that might you know need more help than i can provide to them but I want them, depending on what their needs are, they might need somebody that specializes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's why people go into specialties, right? Mm-hmm. Of um, There are people that I have known who have gone through special programs catered to people who have eating disorders mm-hmm. because mental health therapists are crucial to the growth of a human being And if, as your growth as a human being, you need someone who specializes in this particular realm because this is something you particularly struggle with, that's okay. And there are specialists because of that reason and because they can really help you and understand and your mind and how it works. Right. Um, But I'm also fully aware that I'm saying that as someone who at as someone who does not have an eating disorder. Right. So in that way, I'm already in a different headspace and there's no way I would ever want someone to feel like I'm trying to give them advice from a perspective that is not relational to them and who is not relatable to them. Well, and ultimately I think it's even, it's honestly even outside of the context of eating disorders too. And like, if you want to have a conversation with a therapist about like, 
fat bias and anti-fat bias, like that still might elicit somebody that understands. And because like mental health professionals are not like immune to experiencing the same societal and structural problems that all the rest of us face, even dietitians, you know? And so like that's going to be across the board in healthcare. And so people have to get to know their providers. So like for people that are fat and have dealt with discrimination in the doctor's office that have been refused appropriate medical care, like there are communities of these individuals that are just trying to like put together resources of doctors that like say, hey, this is a good one that you can go see. This is a doctor that will listen to you. And like that breaks my heart to know that like know. we have to have, yeah. that's what we have to do. Yeah. I know that is, it, it is so heartbreaking to hear that you may need to go to a specialist because you have, you, you are fat or you are experiencing something that someone is being prejudiced against. It's mm-hmm. oh, just heartbreaking mm-hmm. because I could imagine as someone who specializes in wanting to help someone with their medical care you would try really hard and train really hard to make sure that you do not act on any of the biases that you have right because we naturally as human beings are going to have biases yeah. right yeah and i mean anyone that says they don't have biases full of shit right <laughs> like we all have them but i think the problem is like people like recognizing that this bias is a problem like unfortunately like People in medicine, like, think that what they're doing is okay. And, like, yeah. again, people do things with the best of intentions so many times. But, like, can be doing things that really, really hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so difficult. And, like, I see that on my day-to-day where, you know, patients are referred to see me and their doctor told them something that, like, ultimately just hurt them. And that then we have to talk about it and yeah. have another conversation and right it, it it's unfortunate that that's like just how it is it shouldn't be that way but those are stru- those are structural and systemic problems and so it's also unfair to put that burden on that individual to say it was like this one individual doctor's fault because like this is society this is this is the structure this is the system that's doing this yeah and so recognizing that too i think is really important as someone continues to move into the new year and get bombarded with diet culture, with anti-fatness, mm-hmm. and with these coaching promises of losing weight, mm-hmm. what are recommendations you would have for people who are struggling to n- stick to who they are and who they want to be mm-hmm. and, and um, not fall into the trap that is? what new year's resolutions can be i think a big thing is like recognizing too where your information is coming from what is your social media consisting of who is posting these things who's posting the diet that you think you're going to follow now and then you kind of got to follow dig into that a little bit more too um because really we should not be getting our nutrition advice from the internet sorry but no yeah like please like you know, from the deepest part of my soul, please do not get your nutrition advice from the internet. <laughs> like, biggest thing. Yeah. As 
this is the first year where I'm really going into the new year and I'm realizing, wow, I am flooded, flooded with anti-fatness. Mm-hmm. With people who are trying to sell me losing weight. And it is so fascinating to hear how this is part of what our society deems as a New Year's resolution. Right. More people make money not, off it. Yep. People make money off of us hating ourselves. Like, like ultimately, uh, thin white people always win. Rich white dudes always win. And, like, this is, like, the same conversation that we're just, like, kind of rehashing in a different context, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So if I were someone who wanted to learn more about this conversation, Mm -hmm. what are some really fantastic resources that you would recommend? Your fat friend. Your fat friend. Your friend. So your fat friend on Instagram. Yes. Y R fat friend. Yes. On Instagram, Aubrey Gordon. Mm -hmm. And her newest book that just came out. Remind um, us. What we don't talk about when we talk about fat. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have yet to read this and... Uh, Per your recommendation, it's just on the top of my list. Are there other people that you recommend following or other books that you would recommend reading or listening to? I mean, so last time when we did the podcast, I gave like a kind of a host of like nutrition related books, but I really felt like this, this re-recording that I really wanted to center the conversation around fat individuals. And so ultimately, I think people that like are struggling with some of these concepts need to do a lot more work with their own relationship with fatness and food and exercise and health and what that means to them. And there's a whole host of resources, but I just don't know if that's this is like, you know, the best part of the conversation because I right. really want to elevate people like Aubrey Gordon. Yeah, I love that. If someone were to want to follow your story Mm -hmm. and follow along your journey and what you have to say and your activism for anti-fatness, how would people do that? Um, You can follow me on Instagram, uh, Keisha Liz Ingley. I guess I will spell that out, (laughs) K-E-I-S-H-A-L-I-Z-E-N-G-L-E-Y. I I think I spelled my name right. (laughs) I I was like Uh, thinking about it too as you said it and I was like, I think that's right. Maybe I'll one, share it. One day I'll have a you know a nutrition specific Instagram, but I'm just like too busy at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think your your uh, Instagram in general has been very inspiring mm-hmm. for me, and I've shared a lot of what you have posted on the Act with Alina Instagram mm-hmm. page simply because it has really resonated with me, and because mm-hmm. I'm continuously learning from you mm-hmm. and from your experience, and I. I'm the first to admit that I have so much to learn and grow in this area. And I'm sure I've said things throughout this podcast or in general that have been things that like, oh, I could have learned from that or kind of rephrased that differently. And so following along your journey has been particularly helpful Mm -hmm. for me. And it's really helped me rephrase the word fat Mm -hmm. in my vocabulary. Yeah, and I think that that's, like, a good place to start for most of us. And it's not, like, an overnight thing either. Like, this stuff takes time to unlearn. Yep. Well, I think this has just been a fantastic Mm -hmm. conversation. Thank you 
a second time over for recording this podcast with me. Seriously, thank you so much. And I think that people are really going to find so much value out of this. I know I have, and I can't wait to share this with our audience. So thank you so, so Mm -hmm. much. Absolutely. Well, you guys, if you want to continue following um, our conversations, our meaningful conversations every other Monday, follow the Act with Alina podcast on Instagram, actwithalina.com to listen to the episodes, or Apple and Google podcasts, or Spotify. I mean, there's a plethora of places you can listen. So um, feel free to listen on any of those places, and I'd be happy to uh, grace the presence of what is your life. So thank you so much, and we will see you soon.